We are in the midst of our series in the book of books of 1 Chronicles and 2 Samuel. Those two books mirror each other in the Old Testament. There's some similar stories. Each book kind of gives some different nuances, kind of like there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of those Gospels give a little bit of different nuance to how the life of Jesus was, tells some different stories. First Chronicles and 2 Samuel is kind of the mirror of that with King David. So we have King Jesus in the New Testament and then King David, who have, we know, uh, come, Jesus comes through the line of David. And the, the title of our series is What Happened, Tell Me. And the reason for that title we'll look at in a moment. Um, but, but let's be honest. We love to know what happened, right? When some, there was an earthquake did this week. Did you guys know that? There was a 3.5 earthquake this week. I didn't feel it. I was outside. Susan's like, did you feel the earthquake? I'm like, no, I was outside. I had no idea that the earth moved, right? And so we want to know what's going on, what's happening. And sometimes we want to know like the future, like what's going to happen if I do this or do that? And we try to plan our future. Oftentimes it doesn't work out well. Most of the time it doesn't work out like we think or how it's going to happen. And David, we'll see here, and the people of God were no different. There's this question of what happened, tell me. And then the question is, who can we trust? And what can we trust? Because right now, we're being told a lot of things about how they're happening, and we're being told what we should do, and then we find out that we've been lied to over and over again. That, that, well, we didn't tell you the whole truth. Well, that means you didn't tell the truth. Because typically, I don't know about you, but when I keep a part of truth away, there's a reason I didn't tell that part of the truth, right? Like, I didn't, I didn't want to give you the whole truth. I wanted to spin it so it looked really good. This happened in my house just a couple of weeks ago. My wife and her genius knows that I have a tendency to exaggerate sometimes and to not tell the whole story as it should be told. Normally, she will interrupt me. In the middle of service, she's interrupted me and corrected me before, which is good. Praise the Lord. I need people like that in my life. So do you. And so, um, my wife... I, was, was asking me, she was fixing dinner, and she asked me, she said, did you rinse out the cans to the barbecue sauce or the, the, the glasses, I'm sorry, it was spaghetti sauce, to the spaghetti sauce? In my mind, because I wanted to help her get dinner ready because she was busy, in my mind, I knew what she meant. She meant, did you put a little water in there and swish it and dump it in with the spaghetti so you didn't waste any sauce? Well, I did rinse the jars out before I put them in recycle. And so I said, yes, I rinsed them out. And my wife, in her incredible and unbelievable, God-filled spirit of genius, looked at me and said, and did you dump them in the pan? And it's like, man, God knows how to just get you right at the question. And I went, no, I lied, I'm sorry. She's like, why did you lie to me? I go, I don't know, I just didn't want to deal with it. Like, as I told her. And like, like, that's what we do. That's what our world does. That's what political leaders do. That is not what God does. That's why we don't like the Bible. Because the Bible just lays it out. God says, this is who I am. This is who you are. Now what are you going to do about it? And we don't like that. We want to spin it. We want to find a God that fits what we want. We either want to find a God that's full of justice and wrath that'll be on my side. Or I want a God that's just lovey and full of, will never hold me a cat and just do whatever I want. God's both all the time. Our God is. The Islamic God has no love. 
He is only war. He is only destruction. If you read Islam, there's not a word for love in the Quran. It doesn't exist. He doesn't love. He is just mighty, awesome, powerful, and you will submit. The word Islam means submit. That's what it means. Our God isn't that way. He sent his only son for us. God keeps sending people. He sends people to David. He sends Nathan to warn David. We'll see. Because he loves us. Why? Here's our title this morning. The Father's or Father's Kindness. We have a heavenly Father that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed for eternity. The reason we have families, the reason we love community and connecting, and we love the ideas of father and mother and bringing created children into the world through procreation is because that is the essence of who God has been since the foundation of the world. That is how he's chosen to reveal himself to us as a father. Listen, I know Father's Day may be hard for some of you. The Bible says that the curses of the father can last for up to three generations. The Bible also says that the blessings of a father can last to the thousandth generation. That God, as our Father, knows that we're cursed, that we sin, that we bring problems on ourselves and consequences, and yet he continues to intervene to say, I'm not going to necessarily take you out of all that, but I'll bring blessing on top of that that you can't imagine. And that's where David finds himself. He's in a mess. The nation's in a mess. There were two kings, and David was anointed king with Saul, and we've been looking at that. And David, after Saul dies, who is the king that was anointed and then turned his back on God and then God anointed David. Saul is killed and David says, what was the outcome? Tell me. And it's not because David wants power. It's not because David says, if Saul's dead, then I get to be king. See, that's our heart. No, David's heart was the heart of the father of kindness. When he heard that Saul had died, he wept. And his best friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son, he wept. He was broken that the nation had to endure this. He was broken that it had to work out this way. He didn't ask to be anointed king. If you remember, he was just herding sheep, right? At age 11, Samuel the prophet shows up and anoints David and says, you're the son. You're the one that's going to take over the throne. And then he has to go back to herding sheep. I don't know about you, but if you were anointed and like told you were going to be great and you were given a license to be a doctor... Like, you're given, you are now a doctor. You have all the power of a, a doctor, a political leader, and then you just go back to herding sheep? We, we would never be satisfied with that if we went to a university, got our, our undergrad, master's, and the whole nine yards, and then God's like, yeah, just herd sheep. No, 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 I, I can't do something that lowly. I've been anointed. But see, God was trying to teach David about his kindness. He became a musician for King Saul, Saul thought he could control him. He kills Goliath. He becomes a commander in Saul's army. David is threatened by Saul because Saul's jealous. He's on the run. David fights for King Asius of the Philistines from Gath, thinking that that can help him to partner with those people. It doesn't. Saul and his sons are killed. And where we're at right now in the story is, is David was anointed at age 11. It's now 19 years later. 19. Most of you in this room, when you were 19, were still kids. Not me. I'm too old. 
He's 19 years later and he's anointed king in Hebron by Judah, but the rest of Israel has not embraced him as their king. The nation is split like our nation is split today. No different. They are at war. People are doing raiding parties on each other and the kings can't even control them. That's where David finds himself just like we find ourselves in the same mess that we're raiding one another. And they're, same thing, same mess. In 2 Samuel 4, we pick back up the story. It says, when Saul's son Ashibosheth heard that Abner had died, Abner was his military leader, David modeled the father's kindness. He brought Abner, the military leader, in to make peace with Ashibosheth and Saul's line and to make peace in Israel. David's trying. He doesn't want to kill people. He is a mighty warrior. He killed Goliath and cut off his head. David is a guy that isn't afraid to fight. But David's heart is kindness. And he was kind to Abner, but one of David's leaders, Joab, wants Abner dead because Abner killed Joab's son, and Joab can't forgive him. There's unforgiveness and bitterness. And as a result, Joab tricks Abner, brings him in, and kills him. Now Abner's dead, and Ashibosheth heard that Abner had died. Ashibosheth is Saul's last son, last living son, the last in line to take the throne. And Abner was protecting Ashibosheth. You see, Abner had the father's kindness. He goes on and it says, his courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. Saul's son had two men who were leaders of raiding parties. You'll see this word raiding parties. That's what they would do, just go in and raid one another all the time. One named Banna, that's not banana. Banna, the other, Rechab, although I could pronounce it that way on any given moment. Sons of Rimnon, you guys all get that who have been in our church, of Bar- the, the Barathite of the Benjamites. Barath is also considered part of Benjamin. And the Barathites fled to Gidim and still live there as foreigners to this very day. The Barathites are deceivers. They were part of the Gibeonites that deceived the Israelites in the Old Testament, became the water carriers for God, the wood carriers for God. The Barathites have fathers that when they traced their lineage, constantly were deceiving and manipulating so that they could get what they wanted. They deceived God's people. Joshua didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. As a result of not seeking the counsel of the Lord, he made a treaty with the Barathites, with the Gibeonites, thinking they were from a far-off land. Oh, I don't know what's going on with this mic.
She shows compassion and she runs. She runs to save Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Now, this woman could have said, well, now that everybody's dead, I better, you know, allow David to be king. I, I want to get on the to be sure David is taken care of. But she didn't. She did her responsibility. Later it says in Samuel 4, Rechab and Banna, the sons of Rimnon the Baroth, or Barathite, set out and arrived at Ashibosheth's house during the heat of the day. <laughs> Remember how hot it was the other day? Um, you know, when it's like 93, the heat of the day. And it says, while the king was taking his midday nap. I wish I could take midday naps. That would be so nice, right? Some of you do, at, you know, you just don't tell anybody and you act like you're praying. You know what I mean? You know how you put your heads down and you're praying at work. You're really concentrating. You have your screen in front of you and, you know, anyway. Okay. I, confession. I'm so tired. I get so tired now. I'm not fully recovered. I had COVID. I'm not fully, re- you know, recovered from it. It's taken a while. I get tired about 930. This week, this is a funny story about being tired and wanting to take a nap. Totally off. So here, here you go. This week, I was praying. So we had do family devotions most nights. I was praying during family devotions, and I fell asleep during my own prayer. <laughs> Malia, Malia was in the other room listening, and she heard me praying, and all of a sudden it stopped, and it was just like this long silence. And Clint's looking, and Malia's, and all of a sudden Susan goes, Matt, Matt. And I wake up, I'm like, what? She goes, you bored yourself in your own prayer to sleep. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm just, I, I get so tired. I'm not recovered yet. And so maybe the king, you know, he was trying to be real spiritual in his prayer and fell asleep. That they entered the interior of the house as if to get wheat. In other words, they're deceiving. Oh, we're just going in to get wheat. I, I just, yeah, I poured out the sauce. And they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and his brother Banna escaped. They entered the house while Ashibosheth was lying in his bed, in his bedroom, and stabbed and killed him. Then they beheaded him. The reason you behead people is because they don't have, they don't have iPhones. They can't take a picture that like, proved they killed him. Right? You take the head and you're like, look, it's him. We killed him. That's why they would take heads around back then. It wasn't just like because they're so barbaric. It's like there's no way to prove we killed the guy unless we have his head and his face and say, see, that's him. They didn't have a way. They didn't chisel into a stone. They didn't have, so you just take the head with you. Then it goes on. He says, and traveled by way of the Arabah all night. They brought Ashibosheth's head to David at Hebron. Of course they're going to travel at night. They don't want to be caught. They're deceivers. They don't have kindness as their heart. They have advantage. Uh, in chapter 4 it says, And they said to the king, Here's the head of Ashibosheth, son of Saul, your enemy. David never said Ashibosheth was his enemy. David never went to war with Ashibosheth. Their men fought each other. Next, they say, who intended to take your life. We have no evidence in the scripture that Ashibosheth ever wanted to kill David. They're making this up. They're trying to spin it to get an advantage. And then it says, today the Lord has granted vengeance to my Lord the king against Saul and his offspring. David is the one that talked about vengeance is the Lord's, not mine. Right? David didn't ask for vengeance. David didn't want vengeance. David wanted God to be in control. Sometimes that means their wars happen. Sometimes it means there's discipline. But David's heart wasn't for vengeance to get what he wanted. It was for God's heart. David answered Rechab and his brother Banna, sons of Remnan, the Barathite, 
as the Lord lives, the one who has redeemed my life from every distress. Wow, what an answer. You kill thinking that it gains you advantage. My Lord lives. He is a, he is a life giver, not a killer. Does death happen? Yep, that's on us. Do we kill one another? Yep, we do. Does God sometimes ask us to stand for what's righteous and it costs people their lives? Absolutely. But it says he's the one that wants to redeem. My God wants to redeem you. He wants to buy you from your slavery. We just celebrated June 19th, Juneteenth, purchasing people, setting people free from their slavery the Emancipation Proclamation. And he says, even my life from the distresses that I've caused and that have been caused on me. In other words, David looks at these guys and he says, you think you understand me and understand my God and you have no idea what my God is like. He goes on, he says, and when the person told me, look, Saul is dead, he thought he was a bearer of good news. Remember that story we looked at a couple of weeks ago? They, they said they killed Saul and they thought they could get in good with David. But I seized him and put that guy, or put him to death at Ziklag. That was my reward for his news. These guys got to be panicked now. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't know that's how you work, God. See, that's how we can be. We can think we're working for God and one day read the scriptures and wake up and go, oh no, I thought I was doing what's right and now I realize after reading the Bible that I'm completely turned around. It goes on, it says this, how much more when wicked men kill a righteous man in his own house, on his own bed? David says Asibosheth was righteous. That, 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 God, that God himself had redeemed Asibosheth and made him a righteous man. That Asibosheth hadn't attacked me. When I became king in Judah, Asibosheth didn't make it his mission, neither did Abner to kill me. They were patiently waiting for how God would play this out. Then he goes on, he says, so now should I not require his blood from your hands and wipe you off the earth? In other words, who's going to pay for the murder that you've done? So David gave orders to the young men and they killed Rechab and Banna. They cut off their hands and feet and hung their bodies by the pool in Hebron. But they took a Shibosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. Look at the kindness that David takes the only part he has left of Saul's family. That David loved Saul's family. He served Saul's family. His best friend was David's son, Jonathan. And he takes what's left, a Shibosheth's head, and he says, we have got to properly bury and have a funeral and love the family of Saul, my enemy. Guys, this is the picture of our God. This is a man, David, who wrestles just like we do. He has sin, we'll see in a moment. But this is a man who has a desire that people would see the father's kindness, that the father will fight for his family. He will stand. He is a warrior, but he is kind and good. That's David's heart. He goes on, he says, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, those guys came to David. They said, you're the king, you're the king will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, that's the judgment day, when they stand before the king. That's coming someday for all of us, the Bible says, when we die, just like these men stood before the king. And they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? We killed a Shibosheth. We drove out demons. We got rid of your enemies in your name. And we did many miracles in your name. 
Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And he says later, to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, God, God's will for us is to recognize that he is the father, and you ready for this? That he sent his son to pay the price in our place for what we deserve. That, that's the will of God for us to recognize. So when he says, but only the one who does the will of God, what you have to do is surrender to the son. You know what David did? David surrendered to the son. David was surrendered to Ishibosheth and said, I'll wait to see how this plays out. I'll wait to see what God's will is and what he wants. I'm not going to kill Ishibosheth. I'm not going to take matters into. You know what we did when God sent his son to the earth? We were the Banna and Rechabs. We hung him on a cross. His hands and his feet pierced, hung for all to see. Be careful that we recognize the kindness of our Heavenly Father. He is a warrior, he is mighty, and he is powerful, but he is kind. St. Samuel 5, it says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. So now that Ishibosheth's dead, they have to make a decision. Whose side, what do we do now? There's no more line of David, they thought. Because remember, Ishibosheth has disappeared. They don't even know if he's still alive, he's being hidden. He's the last of Saul's line, and he's a lame kid anyway. He can't be a mighty warrior. He can't do anything. So the tribes of Israel come, and they say, Here, we are your own flesh and blood. Even while Saul was king over us, you are the one who led us out to battle and brought us back. The Lord also said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel and be rule, ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king. That's King David at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron in the Lord's presence, and they anointed David king over all of Israel. David was 30 years old when, it, when he began his reign. He waited from age, third, from age 11 to age 30. Okay? And then it says he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. There was a war between Ishibosheth or a battle between Ishibosheth and David and their households and all that mess for seven and a half years. You think it's hard getting through four years of college? Seven and a half years of this mess and David, who has the most powerful warriors we find in 2 Samuel, we'll see that eventually, that there were no more powerful warriors than David had, no more powerful army than David had. He could have annihilated Israel in a heartbeat. And for seven and a half years, he waited. That's, a, that's kindness. Our God is in heaven right now. You know what he's doing? He's been waiting 2,000 years to send his king back to make things right. You want to know why he waits? Because the Bible said he desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And that our job is to represent our king, but if we're not careful, we'll be Banna and Rechabs. We won't be like David. We'll be like the Pharisees, not like Jesus, if we're not careful. It goes on to say, the king and his men marched into Jerusalem against the Jebusites who inhabited the land. Jerusalem is the city of God. And it says, the Jebusites had said to David, you will never get in here. Even the blind and the lame can repel you, thinking David couldn't get in here. I love that the Bible says that, like, thinking David couldn't get in here. Like, well, of course that's what they thought. Anyway, I just think God's funny sometimes when he just kind of 
reiterates things. Not that you don't do that as a parent, right? Did you hear me? Did you? Okay. Let's say it again. You're not looking at me. Write it down, please, on your phone. Good. Thank you. Right? The Dave, God does the same thing. It says, David, yet David did capture the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. He said that day, whoever attacks the Jebusites must go through the water shaft to reach the lame and the blind who are despised by David. For this reason, it is said, the blind and the lame will never enter the house. Wait till you see in a minute what David does. You see, we're all blind and lame. We have no right to enter the house of God. We have nothing to offer God that he doesn't already have. There is nothing good in us that God can't put in us himself. We've got nothing to offer. And David says that right now it's said that the blind and the lame aren't welcomed. And we know that Jesus welcomed the blind and the lame and the sinner. David took up residence in the stronghold, which he named the city of David. He built it up all the way around from the supporting terraces terraces inward. David became more and more powerful, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Do you believe God is with you because of your relationship with Jesus? Because of what God's done, of what he continues to do? Because that's the only way to know God is with you. If you try to know God's with you by measuring up in your works, you will end up miserable because you will never measure up. You have to embrace the Father's kindness, his mercy, and his grace. Because if you don't, you will be a wreck. And you will wreck everyone around you because you know the standard by which you're going to do. You're going to have everybody else have to measure up to you and your standard that you've set. Versus measuring up to God's standard, which is perfection. And when you fail, you repent. You turn to him and you call others to turn with you to him. To embrace his grace and his kindness. The king of Tyre sent envoys to David. He also sent cedar logs, carpenters, and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. David didn't even ask for a palace, and he's got people coming to build palaces for him. Wow. So many churches, the reason we rent, you know, most of you know this, the reason we rent space and always have, the reason we just sold our property to put money in the bank, and we're discussing how we give that money away and give to people, and we set up and tear down every Sunday. The reason we do all this is because we're not trying to build something for ourselves. Does that make sense? If God wants us to have a building, he'll give it to us. He'll either give us all the money or he'll give us a building. I'm not going to put us in debt if I don't have to. And I'm tired of people saying, God has blessed us so much. And they've leveraged everything so they can have a building thinking that will fix things. David didn't ask for it, but God just brought it and blessed him. And I just believe God can do that. I've seen it happen multiple times. I know at least 20 churches that have been given buildings. Maybe God will do that for us. Maybe he won't. You know what I love meeting here about? It's really amazing to me that they plan a block party for the entire community and for all the students and people that use the Banneker, mostly people of another race, African Americans and Latinos that use this facility, that this is the hub of their community. And they call me and email me and say, Matt, we know your church will serve. Can you just come alongside us and serve? Yeah, that's why we're here. That's why I'm not off 10 acres away in my own building and asking people to come to us. We're right where people are. That's David. It says, then David knew the Lord had established him. I didn't manipulate this. I didn't get blessed by old national bank. I got blessed by God. (laughs) 
I don't have payments to make on my house. God's making it. Is it wrong to be in debt? No, it's not evil to be in debt. It's not. It's just you made a vow and you're going to be stuck with it. That's what God says. And it goes on. It says, as king over Israel and exalted his kingdom. And look at this. David says, the reason I'm being exalted is not for me. It's for the sake of God's people. Do you believe that all that you have, that all is God's provided for you? That it's not about you, it's not about showing up, look at what I have, but it's just about, God, it's all yours, what do you want me to do with it? We give it all back to you, how do you want to use it? What do you brag about? Do you brag about the glory of God and his kindness and his grace and his mercy and his righteousness? Is that what you brag about or is it all the stuff he gives you? Because David doesn't brag about the stuff We find later that David does try to brag about the stuff and it causes great pain in his nation. He goes on and he says this, after he arrived at Hebron, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of those born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishu, Nepheg, Japhiah, Elishama, Elaada, and Eliphlet, those are the sons. Now, here's the problem. We just found out something. God's laying all these things out. We think this is random. It's not. What God is saying is, David, I'm with him. David, I love him. David understands my kindness. I've raised him up to be my king, but he is a broken man. He has a lust problem. He keeps wanting more women, more pleasure, more sons, Maybe because he saw all of sons, Saul's sons killed, he thought, if I have more, then maybe my sons will survive. His sons end up going to war against each other, and, within his, and his grandsons end up splitting the kingdom in two and leading both the northern and southern tribes of Israel into captivity. It's a disaster. See, God's not afraid to call us out. God's not afraid to look at you and say, if you know my son Jesus Christ, I have forgiven you. You are made righteous. I love you. I am with you in the power of the Holy Spirit through my son. But I am still going to call you out on the things in your life that don't represent my kindness and don't represent who I am because I love you. So that now I can read this and go, probably not a good idea for me to go get another honey. Bad idea. Didn't work out well through scripture for anybody who had multiple wives or multiple honeys. Abraham had multiple honeys. They're still fighting with each other to this day. Ishmael and Isaac, Islam and Christianity and Judaism are still killing each other. God said that would be what would happen the rest of the days until he comes back. So I can look at this and I can know that even though I'm struggling and I have sin, that I have a father who wants to extend his kindness in the midst of my stupidity, but he'll call me out and he'll actually let everybody else know what my problems are. Because we have it written down for all of eternity that this was David's problem. And then we have a story later that proves it. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed over king of Israel, they all went and searched for David, but he heard about it. And went down to the stronghold. So the Philistines came and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Then David inquired of the Lord. This is critical. Underline, circle, mark that down. The biggest difference between Saul and David, the biggest difference between you building your kingdom and God building his kingdom is do you inquire of the Lord? See, a father, a good father, will inquire of the Lord for his children. He won't make an agenda for them. He'll ask them to submit to God's agenda and try to get them on God's agenda. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way they're bent or the way they should go, and God will be with them. 
that he won't depart from them. He'll always be on them. Even if they're rejecting him, he's going to be on. See, we're to, we're to ask God, how is my kid bent? How do you want me to steer them? How do you want, not what I want. I want to be a doctor. I want them to be, no. What do you want, God? I want them to see your kindness through me. I want them to see your righteousness. And David, you'll see this all the way through, is always inquiring of the Lord. He never says, well, it looks like circumstances are perfect. He actually does that three times where he trusts circumstances. And all three times, it costs big time. People die badly. It's awful. All three times, he decides he's going to trust circumstances and not inquire of the Lord. And we can be just as guilty. And here's our thing. We love to inquire of the Lord, right? God, this is what I want. I'm inquiring of you to give it to me. Have a nice day. That's how we inquire of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord since he was age 11. God, it's been 19 years. Is it time? It's been seven and a half years I'm inquiring of you. There's an army getting ready to kill me and kill the people of Israel. Should I fight them or not? Just wondering. I just want to do what you want. I mean, it looks like I should fight them, but I don't know. I don't know if you're going to like rain down fire from heaven and just annihilate them and then we don't have to do anything and then we can just worship. But I want to know what you want, God. See, that's understanding that your father wants to hear from you. That he's so kind, he wants to hear what you say. He wants you to hear from him. It's not this distant deist God that he's just up there somewhere and he's letting me live my life and do what I want. No, he wants to be intimately involved. He wants you to be in the family, having a conversation around the table of what the plan is. And he's given us his word to give us the plan. He goes, and should I go to war against the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, go. For I will certainly hand the Philistines over to you. In other words, I'm going to use you to make this happen. And see, that's what God does with earthly fathers. He doesn't say, take your kids to church and drop them off. He says, you're responsible for the spiritual heritage of your children. You're responsible to take the lead. And you know what? God, in his great kindness, is if the father isn't willing to do that, isn't it awesome that the heavenly father says, then I will. Then I'll come alongside your child that you won't and I will love them. I will show kindness to them. I will bring other fathers into their lives until you figure this out. That's our God. So David went to Baal-perazim and defeated them there and said, like a bursting flood, the Lord has burst against my enemies before me. Therefore, he named the place the Lord burst out. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. The Philistines, oh, real quick. David and his men carried the idols off. Another problem. Why didn't they destroy them? See, we can carry our idols off because we're afraid we don't really have the Father's kindness and we need something else in case it doesn't work out. Be careful of the idols. And in God's kindness, he tells us he wants us to destroy the idols in our lives so we can fully experience him. The Philistines came up again and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord. There it is again. And he answered, do not make a formal, and God said, do not make a frontal assault. Circle around behind them and attack them opposite of the balsam trees. By the way, when David inquires of the Lord, you have to understand that in the Old Testament, inquiring of the Lord was not just saying a prayer and then you get your personal answer from God. Inquiring of the Lord also meant you went to the priests. You asked other people to pray for you. The priests would cast the ermine and the thermon. 
And they would try to find out what the will of God was for you. And you would be patient and wait for God to answer. You didn't just rush to an answer. So when it says that David inquired of the Lord, most likely it meant he followed the Old Testament laws on how to inquire of the Lord. See, we've made prayer this thing where it's just me and God. I go out to a woods and it's just me and him. And I just inquire of the Lord and he just tells me stuff. That's how every cult gets started. You know that, right? Joseph Smith, right? Muhammad, I saw an angel and just started spewing things out and writing them down. Every cult gets started because one guy saw one vision and everybody goes, oh, I like his vision. I'm going with him. Be careful. David inquired through the body, through the people, and then he said, when you hear the sound marching in the tops of the balsam trees, act decisively for the Lord will have marched out ahead of you to attack the camp of the Philistines. So David did exactly as the Lord commanded. That's another thing. He inquired, and then he did exactly what God asked him to do. And what the leaders around him, and probably the priest, asked him to do. Because he understands that I have God's kindness. I'm not trying to manipulate things to get what I want. I just want to do what my kind, loving, righteous, just father wants. And it goes on, and he says, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gerber or from Geba to Jezer. 2 Samuel 9, jump forward. David has now won a bunch of battles. He's now king established. Mark's going to talk about the chapters I skipped next week. About how David reestablished worship. He wanted to reestablish the proper worship of God. David was all about trying to, I mean, he had won battle after battle. He's on the throne. He's the man. And look at what, now that David has all the power, all the control, look at what David's heart is. Look at what he's struggling with. Look at what he goes back to. He's not looking around going, oh, I'm awesome. I got a cedar palace. I've defeated armies. I've got all this. David asked, he asked the community, he asked the people, is there anyone remaining from Saul's family I can show kindness to because of John? David is still broken over the broken relationships and deaths that he had happen in his life. Still broken over his friend years later that has died. He hasn't gotten over it. It's what grief does. But in his grief and in his victory, David is still saying, I have to find a way to show kindness to the house of Saul when everyone else wanted him dead. I just wanted him to repent. I wanted his family to repent. I wanted him to know my God. I wanted to have a relationship with them again. And I couldn't make it happen, but maybe I can now. Maybe there's someone from his house that I can show kindness to. That is not what a leader in control looks like. Leaders in control tell you what to do. David's looking, what can I do? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replies. So the king asked, Is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show, look at this, the kindness of God to? I think Saul's family thinks that God has abandoned them, that God doesn't love them, that God doesn't care about them. I am looking to show kindness to them. Is there anyone? Ziba said to the king, there's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. Remember the story that seemed out of place? Remember how they said David couldn't take Jerusalem because he was lame and blind? God has a way of turning things around. 
The king asked, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Macher, son of Amiel. So God had him brought from the house of Macher, son of Amiel, to Lodabar. Meshibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, bowed down to the ground. How? He's already on the ground. He's lame. Which means he bowed even further. Meshibosheth's position is one in which he's bowing before the king. The Bible says we will bow before King Jesus someday. Everyone will bow before the king. And that is Meshibosheth's posture. He knows he's lame. He has no future. He has no life. If the other king was bringing you into his palace, what would you think was getting ready to happen to you? This is it for me. I'm dead. He's going to kill me. But what does it matter? I'm lame anyway. It's not like I can run away. So whatever happens, happens. Goes on and it says, he bowed down, he paid homage. David said, Meshibosheth. I am your servant. He replied. The Son of Man came to serve, not be served. The Bible says about Jesus. Meshibosheth should be serving David. He should have not been hiding. He should have been serving David as the king. He should have been coming and paying homage way earlier than this. David's like, Meshibosheth, don't be afraid. I love you. I want to show you kindness. David says to him, don't be afraid. Since I intend to show you kindness because of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. The Bible says that Jesus prepares a table for us, that we will go eat with him someday, that the nations will come to eat and gather. Meshibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Meshibosheth's whole life, the only person who really showed him any kindness was the maiden the maid that ran off with him, and she accidentally dropped him. Meshibosheth thinks there's no point. What is the point of this life? He has to have people serve him all the time because he's lame. He doesn't survive unless people serve him. And he goes, I'm just a dead dog. Can I just tell you that is the absolute proper posture before the God of the universe? I have nothing to offer. Jesus says that when people come someday to him and they look at him and say, when did we do this in your name? When did I do that in your name? When? Jesus says, if you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Be a servant. Be someone who wants to serve, not looks to be served. I wish we did this in church. Instead, most churches are trying to sell people on how they can serve them. Serve their kids. Serve this. Serve that. We're We're all here for you. Versus We're asking you to come in and bow before the God of the universe, worship, and then figure out, and we'll help you figure out how you're supposed to go out and serve and how you serve here. And trust me, you can attract a lot more people with the political advantage of we're going to take care of you. You just come on. You just, and you give them everything you want. You give them the goodies, enough crumbs to keep them along. That's a great way to do it. Versus saying there is a God who asks you to submit and he may not give you what you want, but he's worthy. That's Meshibosheth's heart. It's amazing. Jesus said this, but Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. The men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, you must be, must be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to show the Father's kindness for many. Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him. You are to bring in the crops so your master's grandsons will have food to eat. But Meshebesheth, your master's grandson, is to always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. <laughs> Meshebesheth just got an entourage <laughs> of servants. Guys, this is the kindness of God. This is, we should have this kind of heart like Ziba. Ziba then obeyed and served Meshibosheth. I'm sure Ziba talked about David. You won't believe what David did. David gave back All No king does this. No other king we've ever seen in the world does this. Nobody, yes, that's our heavenly father. He goes on and says this. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my Lord. The king commands. So Meshibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. The Bible says that we become like sons of God, that we get adopted into the family. This is the picture in the Old Testament of that. Meshibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Meshibosheth's servants. However, Meshibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. I don't know how you've been injured. I don't know how you've been hurt in your past. I don't know if there's abuse. I don't know what's happened. But can I tell you, there is a king and there is a father who wants to show you his kindness. And he's done it through his son. When the Pharisees saw this, and Matthew, this is what Jesus said, the Pharisees, who were the religious people, saw what Jesus was doing. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with the blind and the lame? But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I came to call Meshibosheths. I came to call Abners. I came to call people who are willing to humble themselves, not for advantage, like the people that David executed, but because they understand the will of God. Sometime later, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Huram became king in his place. Uh oh, another war's possibly coming. Then David said, What's worked so well with Meshibosheth? I'll show kindness to Hanan, the son of of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent his enemies to console Hanun concerning his father. Your father showed me kindness. I just want to show you kindness because you had a great dad. You want to know why we want to be great, why we want to show kindness, why we want to do that? Because we got a great dad. That's it. We have a heavenly father. He goes to this son. However, when they arrived in the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite leaders said to Hanan, their Lord, just because David had sent men with condolences for you, do you really believe he's showing respect for your father? Instead, hasn't David sent his emissaries in order to scout out the city, spy on it, and demolish it? So Hanan took David's emissaries, shaved off their beards, cut their clothes in half at the hips, and sent them away. If you listen to the wrong people, you will miss the kindness of God. Be careful who you listen to. This Ammonite king missed an incredible opportunity to be embraced with the kindness of God. And what he gets is justice, because when this was reported to David, he sent someone to meet them, 
Since they were deeply humiliated, the king said, stay in Jericho until your beards grow back, then return. When the Ammonites realized they had become repulsive to David, they hired 20,000 foot soldiers from the Armenians of Beth, Rohab, and Zobah, 1,000 men from the king in Mecca, and 12,000 men from Tob. David heard about it and sent Joab and all the fighting men. When all the kings who were Hadazer's subjects saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became their subjects. After this, the Arameans were afraid to even help the Ammonites again. They repent. The Ammonites are defeated, they're slaughtered, and the Armenians repent and say, we're sorry. We had the wrong covenant. We were connected to the wrong God. We were connected to the wrong family. We get it now. They turned. Colossians, as we wrap up, says this. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, and those of us who know Jesus, who have embraced it, God has called us to himself, and we've responded. Put on heartfelt compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It doesn't mean you don't have a complaint. It just means you can forgive. You don't have to hold that bitterness and expect God to come through for vengeance with you. Forgiveness isn't necessarily forgetting because if it was, we wouldn't have all the sins written down in the Bible because God's causing us to remember them. Goes on and says, I love this. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Messiah, to which you are also called in one body, control your hearts and be thankful. Let the message about Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, again, with gratitude in your hearts to God, in whatever you do, in word or deed, in everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the ultimate King. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Let me ask you, how's your thanksgiving going in your gratitude? I find that I don't find God very kind and I don't see him as a very good father. I may not even want him to be my father when I'm complaining and grumbling and I have wants and desires that I haven't checked in with him. But when I'm grateful and I have gratitude and I pause and think about who he is and his kindness and his justice and his righteousness that that he'll bring life when there's just death all around, my heart becomes a lot more like Colossians 3. See, God gives us simple answers. In Titus 3, 4, it says this, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, God appeared all the way through the Old Testament and then he finally appeared in the person of Jesus, he saved us. Do you think you need to be saved? Because if you don't think you need to be saved, then you're in trouble. Meshibosheth knew he needed to be saved. Rechab and Banner knew they needed to be saved once they got, woohoo. Then he says, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, his kindness. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he poured out the Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we don't work and earn it, it's a gift. You can't earn kindness. Kindness is given as a gift. Then he says, we may become heirs. We're going to become kings with the hope of eternal life. Do you understand the Father's kindness? He wants you to this morning. And if you don't, if you've never seen the Father's kindness through the Son, that Jesus died in your place, that you deserve to be the Rechab and the Banna because you've used God your whole life and manipulated him for your benefit, 
And there is a God who says, that's not the way it works. And if you stand before me one day, you're in trouble. But I can tell you this, I'm extending right now my grace. Will you bow? Will you humble yourself? Will you invite me to come into your life? Because I can tell you this, if you do, I will come and eat with you and I will make a table for you and I will be with you all the days of your life and for eternity. That is the promise. That is the Father's kindness. And he tells us that we live in a lost and broken world. And the bad things are going to happen. David had fights. He had sin. It was a mess. But he kept coming back to the kindness, the worship, and the authority of God. Let me ask you, if you're a believer, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ sometime in your past, are you living out that 1 Corinthians, or that Colossians 3 and that, that Titus verse we just read? Have you become so bitter because God hasn't given you what you want that you haven't seen all he has given you? I'm going to take a moment and pray. I'm going to be quiet for a minute. And here's what I want. I want you to go to God, and I want you to say thank you to him for his kindness. If you're not ready to do that, if you're still wrestling with God and bitter, I pray that you would just say, God, I'm not ready to say that, but would you help me with my bitterness? Would you help me with the struggle? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here and what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for your kindness because without it, we'd be in trouble. There's no hope. Not at all. And Lord, I thank you for your justice because without justice, then kindness means nothing because no one's held accountable for the wrongdoing. And we thank you that you put your justice on your son so we don't have to pay the ultimate price. But I thank you that you also call us to be just in the way we live our lives, and to be kind and loving in the way we live so that we can represent you like David was concerned by representing the people. So Father, this morning I'm going to pause. Heads bowed, staying quiet. And for those of us who know you, I pray we take a minute just to thank you, to be grateful like we read for your kindness. And for those who may not know you, I pray they would either this morning make the decision to say, I want a dad like that. I want to be a father like that. And I'm going to bow this morning to ask him to change me. Ask him to meet with me so that I can know what he wants. I pray they would pray that prayer. And for those of us who are believers, I pray that we'd surrender the bitterness. We'd surrender and give you authority. 